0: By two. Veronica, Nick you. must remember those words. Gordons are nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm one of your regular hosts, Scott Weatherly, and we will be joined today by my other great host, Julian Darius. This is just a bit of an intro to catch us up. We've already covered series 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5, and now we're entering series 6 of the Fantastic Red Dwarf. We've been covering the entire show and we're about halfway through all those series. So I'm now going to pass you straight over to myself and Julian as we get onto the American episodes. Talking about the American pilot because um, it's it's you know it, it does happen between these two it it doesn't really influence anything that happens this side of the pond but the only person um, it's well to say it's available it's it's available on YouTube you know I, I I can only find like a pretty poor quality version um, on on YouTube um, but it sort of follows. S- series 1 episode One episode mm-hmm. to an extent Right Um, They they shoehorn Crichton in Still played by Robert Llewellyn The only member of the cast to go over Um, And they just change everybody else And they sort of change it around a little bit But they don't change the dialogue Like the writers were sort of like Yeah we've got this yeah. great, it worked before We're going to change <laughs> little pieces of it Maybe there's a few Americanisms in there But that's it Um
1: yeah, it's I, very bizarre watching this. You know, being familiar with the original, uh, and then you just think like, "Oh, right." I mean, this is literally the same dialogue, but it's not
0: right. Mm. No, it just it. Oh, oh wh- when I watched it, there there are three. In fact, I can there there are examples of the three replacement actors and where it seems to go wrong, and not only just wrong, but like where you can just see it doesn't work. Um. You know, so in the opening scene of the original Red Dwarf is um, Rimmer and Lister sort of going around um, fixing chicken soup sh- machine nozzles. Aren't they? <laughs> they, they're literally doing them. They're doing their job, but it's a crappy job. And you've got sort of like Lister slobbing around in a sort of like a dirty version of his, his uniform and all this other stuff. Um and he looks like a slob. you know. He looks like he, you know, they've they've done it, you know, well. And he has a sort of he has a, a cheeky but insubordinate attitude. Do you know what I mean? Sort of like, yeah, he is being insub- he's definitely been insubordinate, and it's understandable why he's frustrating Rimmer. But he's just cheeky with it, so he gets away with it. But the way they play it with um, the way they play Lister in the american version it's like, it's clear that they want him to be the hero like he is the hero yeah. character of this show and so he has to be cool rather than cheeky and insubordinate
1: <laughs> all right
0: do you know what i mean so they yeah. they want him to they want him to be sort of um zach from saved by the bell do you know what i mean they're, they're trying to get yeah. that sort of like cool you know like, okay this that straight away doesn't work um and there's a Absolutely. whole thing with chance and it, so that was the first one I was like that doesn't work i, I don't know what your thoughts on on the list of character but it, it just straight away I was like no <laughs>
1: yeah no i agree i agree completely and you know he just seems uh he seems very clean cut and he seems very americanized uh, mm. you know in the worst way possible right <laughs> like you know yeah. american audiences Look, man, we're making this for an American audience and Americans, they need somebody to identify with. We're not dirty and slobby like you people, okay? We yeah. want a hero and we expect a hero, and here is that guy. And yeah, he's, you know, he's a little, um, you know, obnoxious, but he's lovably obnoxious uh, yeah. in, in the worst kind of like attempt to make somebody lovably obnoxious.
0: Well, one of the things that sort of, you know that with craig charles as lister is and with the show in particular like at no point have they ever been um they've never tried to make him a sort of a poster boy do you know what i mean they Mm -hmm. they acknowledge that even craig charles like like you know he's a he's a he's fine He's he's a he seems like a nice enough guy but he's not like a classically handsome chisel jawed kind of looking bloke do you know what i mean yes um and so that you know, they even call him like Gerbil Face, and sort of like they'll take the Mickey out of his looks and stuff throughout the show. But like they're not as as you know as guys will do to each other. But it felt like even the casting of Lister in the American show was like, all right, can we get someone who's tall and ruggedly good looking but cheeky <laughs> with it? And you're just like, I can imagine, I can imagine the producers sort of asking for that. You know, like who's an up and coming comedian who can do this role? Who's sort of like ruggedly good looking, but you know, could be cheeky. And of, it, it just it just feels so off from from the from the go, you know. Um but the other two of the moments that really stick out to me is in the original series, in the in the British version, you have the moment of Lister sorry, of Rimmer cheating on his exam. You know, he writes all his right. um, uh the answers on his arms and all this other stuff and and then when it goes wrong he sort of like you know feigns he feigns a, a fainting fit or maybe he didn't feign feign it but he collapses after putting his, his <laughs> ink covered hands onto the paper and signing it um again like for some reason like chris barry can carry it off because he is an obnoxious git like he comes across but you again you sort of there's something about him the way he does it that you just sort of it's funny but the way they do it in the american show like he's just a he's just a dick
1: yeah yeah right
0: There is nothing appealing at all, Um, and I I think it comes down to this thing we've come to. Is like Chris Barry is able to convey, um, even in the simplest terms, in the first couple of episodes, this character is a Jobsworth. He is sort of like really sort of you know petty and obnoxious and not a very nice person, but he's doing it for a reason. Like there is more to him than that. Mm-hmm. And again, the American version doesn't seem to get that. They just want to make him sort of the, not so much the villain, but he's got to be, I don't know, it just doesn't work again. He feels two dimensional. All they focus on is the obnoxiousness and the, and the horribleness and the pettiness of Rima rather than giving him a bit of, just even a glimmer of heart. Do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, And I think that, You know, again and again, the U.S. uh, version makes me appreciate the British version and those actors more, Um, Mm. you know, when you realize how easily Red Dwarf could have not worked, Mm. Um, you know, that really it's not, you know, I mean, the script is good. You know, the script is fine. It's really those those actors. And I I think you're exactly right that, you know, the British Rimmer, you even in his worst moments you kind of like him or you know that there's insecurity underneath um and it almost feels as if like it's been put through this american filter in which there's good guys and bad guys things are more black and white and you know that i, I mean once i was into red dwarf enough that i tracked down the u.s version i thought "Oh, this does not make my country look good <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> Uh, it's almost as if like uh, you know, the Brits are more comfortable with unlikable or complex characters and we need our, you know, heroic, rugged, uh, good looking uh, white guy in our, you know, well, that's the other thing is, you know, he seems white. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and our sort of like, yeah, he's a, he's a dick, you know, uh, Rimmer is, but you know, there comes some point at which you find out he's a good guy inside, but um yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it does seem much more good guys and bad guys, black and white, um, as opposed to complex real people.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, um, it, it just it, there's just something about American remakes of, of British comedies that they always seem to sort of they focus in on. You know, there's there's a number of things. I I think there was there's another one, um there was another British sitcom called The In Between Us, which was based around a bunch of school sort of like you know, older school kids in a British school. And it was a real hit over here, you know, it sort of it, it but it was a real hit because it was really relatable. You know, it had the character that talks just constantly sort of tries to big himself up, you know, he's sort of sixteen and like, Yeah, I've I've slept with ten girls, you know, I know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about, all this other stuff. And then the characters sort of, that you could look at them and go, I knew that person, or even worse, like, I was that person. I know <laughs> exactly what this is about. Like It, it was really relatable. And then the Americans did it. And again, there was if you watch the American pilot of the In Inbetweeners, um, it's exactly the same thing. Like They bring in exactly the same jokes and a lot of the same <clears throat> dialogue, but they, they can't transpose the characters because they focus almost in on either the best parts of the characters or the worst part of the characters, but not the whole character. Mm-hmm. And so the jokes don't work because you don't have the whole context in for them to work. Um, yeah, it's an it's an interesting thing that seems to have repeat itself. Um, and that's not to say Americans can't do comedy because obviously some of the most successful comedies can and are American. You know, um, you may not be a fan, but you, you know you got long-running ones like Friends and Frasier and, and Cheers and all these other ones that you know have got had moments of greatness. But they just just there's just a sort of a, a, a something missing in that translation it gets literally gets lost in translation i suppose um and, and this the red dwarf one really suffered from it
1: yeah i agree and it, it kind of reminds me of like okay you know what are we going to do uh, you know well who who are we going to cast as lister uh, uh let's get adam sandler you know he does that kind <laughs> of uh uh oddball uh who's ultimately likable yeah. you know I mean, you just think, oh, geez, this is this is just bad news all over, Um, you know. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, even in the comedies that you mentioned, they seem very clean cut, you know. And I think Mm. that, um, you know, I I, uh, really enjoyed Fleabag, um, Mm. you know, much more recently. Um, You know, there's more room to do that kind of uh, unlikable, complex character in America now than there was then. But Mm. when you look back, I mean, you know, cheers. Yeah. I mean, people were drunks, but they're all ultimately good guys, right? They, Mm. that show would not be comfortable doing either Lister or Rimmer. Um, And even in like the most successful translation of all time from British comedy is probably the office. Um, Mm. And even there, all of the characters are sanitized. They're all made, Uh, much more likable. Um, You know, I mean, you know that the boss is terrible, but he's not a horrible, disgusting person who should never be allowed near anything. Uh, You know, he's just a a likable kind of, you know, hapless idiot, but he, you know, he's a good guy underneath, and the show does such pains to to point that out. Whereas on the British version, he's just a terrible person through and through.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. The Ricky Gervais, uh, David Brent is, is a vile person. I mean, he is, he, he is in, in many ways the sort of like what you would expect the worst version of Rimmer to be. Um, you know, that sort of like, yeah, just, a, just a relentless, um, egomaniac and utter prick. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I think there is, there is a level of sort of just, we're, we're more accepting. I think we've, I, I think we've, we've said it before on, on these episodes, like the, in british comedies we are just more attuned to to laughing with and at vile characters you know yeah and, we, we just, and i think uh, america
1: and america wants to do one or the other right you know mm-hmm. we want to laugh with them or at them but especially i mean we're talking 92 right i mean yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know i mean we're maybe better now but you know we still suffer from this problem of you know they're a good guy or they're a bad guy
0: yeah i don't know and i think you know one one day I and mean, it was not really science fiction so you know we would struggle to talk about it but what maybe on 20th century geek but the, the, one of the the greatest personifications of that is black adder
1: oh yeah i love Black you know, adder.
0: In, in in the in the sense that you know in the, in britain we, we lord Roan Atkinson for that character. You know, he is a fantastic actor. But he's, a, you know, we, we want to see Blackadder win, despite the fact that he is probably one of the worst people in the room in that show <laughs> consistently. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah, and it depends what series you're talking about. I mean, there there are, you know, you know, for those who don't know, each series is set during a different time period and stars, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much the same cast. Um, but there there are series that in which he's more likable. Um, you know, the Renaissance one, he's, you know, a smart, up and coming uh Machiavellian person, and mm. you know, he seems more just outright evil and terrible in, in the Middle Ages. Um yeah. you know, but uh yeah, I mean I and I, I feel that. I mean, that is the role that I love Rowan Atkinson for too. Uh I yeah. don't I don't know what percentage of Americans would say that, but um <laughs> You know, I, I adore Black adder but I mean, there's something maybe, I mean, for me, you know, getting back to the the sense of Red Dwarf being transmissions from a, a parallel universe that I was intercepting late at night. Um, it was like, uh, you know, that was part of what I loved, that mm. characters were allowed to be complex and they were allowed to be, you know, detestable, but but also sympathetic. Um and and Black Blackadder is an example of that, and, and certainly everybody on Red Dwarf is.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think that that sort of you know, I think people do talk about uh, you know British comedy does seem to sort of at least at least certain British comedies do seem to travel well um, across the you know across the ocean in, in or across the the world really. Um. Okay, so should we jump into series six? Yeah, absolutely. Because so we start off with. Um, sirens which um basically it sits on the sort of the, the um the premise of um i don't know if it's, it's greek or whatever but that's what sort of the ancient is sort of the sirens the siren call um being lulled into sort of a false security by you know by something and then being basically being eaten um and in this they just sort of i can't remember if they've crashed or, or um whatever but they 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 are under siege from these creatures that are going to, um, basically, wants to suck their brains, uh, and can take the form, at least in the form of a hallucination, of anything that they will lull them into doing so. <laughs>
1: we
0: we should actually highlight the, the, uh one other thing in this series. We've talked about sort of um, reboots or uh, setup changes. So there's a setup change for series six. Series six actually starts with. Lister coming out of stasis and having been in stasis for six months, on on Starbug, and we actually find that they've lost Red Dwarf. Um, it was part by a a blue a blue green Moony thing, and it, but they can't find which blue green Moony thing it was, and so it's wandered off, and so this entire series is actually set in. What really is a larger version of Starbuck? Like Starbuck has grown for this series. <laughs> it's got sleeping quarters, it's got a kitchen, it's got all kinds of things. Um, so they they're trying to get back to. It really feels like they're trying to get back to that sort of the first couple of seasons where they had. You know, it wasn't as expansive, but they seem to go off and do more as well. So it's it's a really weird sort of less smaller sets on the ship, but more expansive stories, as it were. But yeah, Sirens. So, what are your thoughts on on basically Series 6 and and starting with Sirens?
1: Well, I love the start of Sirens. I mean, you know, again, I love when you blow up Red Dwarf, right? So, I mean, (laughs) having uh, Lister wake up from stasis and you find out 200 years have passed since the previous episode, I I, I love it already, you know. Um, You know, and, you know, Red Dwarf has been stolen. Uh, Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel as if. This episode is kind I mean, this season is still, it's is kind of still within the classic years, but you can mm. see the drift away from the original formula. And, and I, I know what you're saying about trying to get back to the original formula, but, you know, there's so much focus on, you know, Starbug. I mean, and really all of these episodes basically could have been done re- with Red Dwarf. But as we get into Series 7 and Series 8, Red Dwarf kind of drifts away from the original conception of the show and and starts playing with the formula in in more aggressive ways. So I think Series 6 is kind of, you know, on the cusp where it's sort of about to do those things and kind of beginning to kind of tread into that water but still within that classic period so it's it's sort of in between these two things for me
0: yeah i know what you mean exactly yeah i mean it's um, th- this is where you know are this series can definitely be split into those episodes that i think sort of like feel like they fit in with with you know um, 3 4 and 5 uh, and then there's others where they, they i don't know whether they're trying something or they're just off the boil um we should we should note that actually at this point um i don't know if it's actually sort of throughout all of them but um the writing team splits up after this Mm -hmm. uh rob grant leaves um the writing team um sorry yes um yeah doug naylor remains writing um but Rob Grant, as, as it sort of leaves the crew, and there is dissatisfaction throughout the creation of this series. Uh, and, and to me, it sort of shows weirdly in the writings. There, there, it seems a bit sort of bumpy in places where it, it felt smoother before. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still some really good ideas. Some of the sci-fi ideas in this are really good, but then there's others that just feel a bit like oh, there's there are there's at least. Uh, two episodes in this that just feel like filler yeah in the sense of they're quite they're quite good fun but they just don't seem to you know they don't really do a great deal um and sirens is one of them like it sets up the show you get that sort of thing of they give the information like we're on Starbug, we've got this and i do like the thing of Lister being reintroduced to himself um you know and he sort of he sort of he's um Crichton goes through the breakfast he's got, and it's sort of like a side of chilled vindaloo sauce. Yes, it's um, all disgusting. He's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's really disgusted with himself. But then, within a couple of moments, or, you know, within, within time, he's back into himself. And the uh, um, when they re re sort of um instigate river, and it sort of has a sort of like you know installing your and season, it goes on for minutes to sort of filling him up. Um, well, there's this, that
1: very funny line as as he says, you know. He's looking at uh, what he does, and he says, "Like you know, I'm absolutely." Dis-. He says, "I'm I'm the disgusting person." And Grayson says, "Oh, I told you it would come back to you.
0: <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. It's all coming back." <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is. There's still some really good lines, but the whole thing with the sirens, it, it, it feels like they were like, "Okay, we've got to restart the series. We've really got to sort of rebaseline. So let's just sort of like monster of the week." You know, there we go um and it doesn't they, they don't feel particularly interesting you know um you know i, I don't know it's just it's just sort of it, to me it's it's not a great start to the series it's you know it's rebased on but they're not it's not a particularly memorable episode yeah
1: no i agree i i, I don't think that it's great um i i maybe like it a little more than you do i i think hmm. that one of the things that I feel negatively about is that all of the sirens um, attempts to lure them one by one are so obviously a lie. You know, I mean, if I were in love with Kachansky and I suddenly saw her alive and, you know, in combat and about to, I I think, Oh yeah. Remember those, (laughs) those illusion projecting sirens? you know, Um, maybe this is too good to be true. But that doesn't mean that there aren't moments of cleverness and of real humor, and I think that you know, like the the flaming meteorite that you know isn't really there, and then really is, and you know the cleverness of you know really is then the the second time it appears, and they say, well, you know, you know, the hold Rimmer bravely says, you know, of course it's a joke on Rimmer, you know, hold course, you know, it's it's not real, you know, hold course to the second uh flaming meteorite and you know Crichton very cleverly points out you know like well not only is it getting hot in here but you know what if um what if this one is real and the radar that doesn't show it is the illusion i thought oh that that is clever um yeah and the same thing with like two listers later on you know i mean there are moments of of cleverness
0: there are i mean that's what i mean by bumpy but you know um where it would have been smooth i think before it's it, it sort of th- there are moments of this again not like, you know sort of certain moments because again I, I like it when um um when like you say when Crichton that the, the first sort of flaming meteorite does pass through them <laughs> and um Crichton sort of like initiates smug mode <laughs> <laughs> um and so yeah little things like that that are good um but i, I think it's says it just sort of um it's fine. It's a very sort of fine episode. I think it's sort of, it's, it's, to me, it's just forgettable. I just find that I sort of, I, I remember I've watched it and go, oh yeah, that's fine. And then very quickly forget it. I mean, one of the, one of the things to highlight is Jenny Agatha appears in it as uh, Dr. Mamet, uh, Crichton's creator, um, hmm. which is a really bizarre sort of throwaway thing. So oh, why you've got Jenny Agatha in this, that's bizarre. Um, and then she's in it for like literally minutes, um, and <laughs> makes him go into the trash compactor. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, uh Yeah, I mean, so there are moments in this that I think are quite interesting. I mean, they, they just they just literally just jump to my head. They, they start and finish this episode really. Then with her, you know, um, the potential for. Um, I suppose it's like reality you know, hallucinations or tricks, isn't it? Cause you get the sort of the reality bubbles in the final episode as well. That's very similar. Um, which I, I do quite like that idea. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't really got a great lot to say about sirens to be perfectly honest. Um,
1: I I do like the bit of, uh, you know, with the two Listers that, uh, they do the, uh, trim the toenails test and then they do the play guitar get test and the siren is too good. You know, it's how Lister believes that he can play, uh, because it read his mind. And so they know who to (laughs) shoot. And, you know, Lister says, I resent you saving my life in this way. (laughs) You know? know? So, I mean, I, I agree with you overall. I mean, you know, this is definitely not a, a keeper of an episode, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean it, it has its moments.
0: Yeah, I mean the one thing I would say is that something they do in this series they haven't really done anywhere before is that they do try to sort of not so much change the status quo but the, there are things in it that add up. So there's almost like the, the things that happen in pretty much I think pretty much every episode really that that well, know, actually that, that culminate towards the end of the show you know there are things that they keep that keep coming back which is quite interesting i don't think they've seen they've done that before um so in this obviously the, you know the first one they've reset the fact that um red dwarf has gone missing and they're now living on um uh, starbug and it's a much smaller uh, um living quarters um so i, I quite like that you know that again it's that thing of like okay we're going to try something a little new um I mean, you know, so we're going to try and do it a little different. So, I, I like that element because um, then I will say in the next one, if you might, can we jump, can we jump to Legion? Yeah, sure. Because uh, I really like Legion. Um, mm. um, for some of the ideas and and some of the gags. I mean, there's some jokes that are a bit silly, but um, this is they find another sort of <laughs> another human science outstation. No um, <laughs> signs of life. Um, and so, when they board it, um, they go like as Lister says, "Let's go shopping." So they're going to go loot it. Um, and when they do, they actually find there is a, there is a, a life form on board, and it's Legion. Uh, and it's revealed that Legion is actually sort of was created by scientists that had lived on this but this outstation centuries before, uh, millions of years before. And um, what he is, he sort of is cul- a culmination of any sort of entities that do live on board and becomes a sort of a, a a conglomerate of their, their personalities. Um, but he can't leave that ship. Um, but the other thing, as well, is sort of like, you know, this one, this introduces um, Rimmer and gives him a hard light drive. Mm-hmm. So the upgrade, Rimmer, I like the fact that he goes from when he's in his soft light drive, he has his red um, sort of padded jacket. And when he's in the hard light drive, he then has his blue one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that concept that, you know, they, they given, they're now Rimmer's now able to do more because he has his hard light drive and that pays off in the, in the last episode. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it, you know, but what do you think of Legion as a, as a concept and as, a, as an episode?
1: Well, I've literally rated this exactly the same as, uh, uh, as, uh, sirens, um, mm. you know, I mean, it, it's, uh, slightly above average. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think that for me, maybe the humor isn't as good here for me. I mean, uh, it's fun sort of watching, you know, the mystery of who Legion is and, you know, uh, you know, Legion, uh, stabbing his hand and then threatening to stab his genitals. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I mean, you know, but then there are things that I feel like should work and don't, um, you know, that whole sort of eating scene where they're using these, you know, sort of telekinetic chopsticks. Um, you know, you know, it's, it's chuckle worthy, but you know, it's mostly food being thrown like a food fight. Um, you know, and it's kind of clever watching. You know, Rimmer like feigning sophistication and confusing the light switch for art. That's, but it's I, it I doesn't
0: do like yeah. it doesn't quite get <laughs> it
1: doesn't work for me as much. You know, it's like a chuckle for me.
0: Mm. I, I always like because again, it comes back to that sort of the thing of, of Rimmer trying to be above his station, and I, I do like watching the awkwardness of that. Um, but again, with the food fight, it, it's very puerile It's very sort of silly, but um i like it in the fact that the first thing they do when they give rimmer a sort of re you know, give back rimmer a physical presence is throw food at him
1: <laughs> yeah i never thought of that
0: and that that sort of that's always what i've enjoyed about that is like you know he's like, i've got i've got a hard light drive and Crichton's response is puncture puncture repair kit at the standby um and uh yeah it's it, you know it's 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 daft. It is silly, but I, I do like a lot of this because again, I like the fact that they sort of their perfect rooms. They each get their perfect bedroom, and, and uh, you know they all talk about it, and you get to see Listers. You know, is this sort of like bachelor pad, and it's all sort of perfect. Um, His out of tune guitar that he loves, um, <laughs> and when they're talking through it, and you hear uh, you hear Crichton's is sort of like a muck strewn mop club- cupboard uh, <laughs> out the back somewhere. Um yeah, I, it's it's good. I mean it's sort of and also the thing at this is um you know it shows that like Legion has this desire to actually exist. Like he hasn't existed for millions of years. So his desire says, Well, you you can't leave. Um and so I do like sort of Lister's response of sort of like, Well, when I do my good psycho rating, you know, my, my good psycho guy, this place is getting a good like, you know, full five chainsaws. You know, uh, he's courteous. The food's great, and he's sort of like, yeah, pass me me the caviar. And he has some caviar. He's like, right, let's get the hell out of here. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I do like this episode. I think, like I say, it's it's just it is chuckles, but I think I chuckle like pretty much throughout this episode. Um, And so I I do. I really enjoy this episode. I, I like the idea of Legion as a sort of again, as that sort of you know, you say going back to sort of original Star Trek. Uh, th- mm-hmm. this sort of feels like that thing doesn't it sort of find it whether it be an M class planet or another spaceship or whatever and just finding this entity living on it this mm-hmm. feels very sort of original Star Trek
1: oh absolutely and they're always finding uh, sort of remnants of uh, previous Earth uh, stations or you know an old civilization that doesn't exist anymore um, you know I think that the way in which Legion mirrors other people um, you know for me Reminds me of the Inquisitor, Uh, Mm. you know, it reminds me of, uh, uh, well, you know, even terraform, you know, the you know, the planet responds to uh, the psychological state of other. And and this may, you know, I mean, it's a point at which I start feeling like some of these red dwarf tropes are just kind of being repeated and Mm. repeated in ways that are not as satisfactory to me. I think the stuff that I like most about Legion is the that Star Trek element. Uh it is the sort of it does feel like a classic Star Trek setup, but also um you know the idea that Legion made all of this artwork but then lost that ability as the people he was mirroring, you know, died. That I find fascinating, right? I like I want that story, but that's just like a touch near the end. Um you know, and even at the end you have the like star drive that they get and it um
0: Yeah you know, <laughs> goes wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like you know, the uh anti there's you know like anti-gravity pods in uh in Robotech that uh they activate and they just rip out through the SDF one. Um, you know, and, and go out into space. Um, you know, and, and that's very clever. It's being used as, you know, real sci-fi there here it's being used as a kind of a gag that like, well, nothing we touch will ever work properly. You know, this <laughs> is not going to work. Right. So, I mean, those elements that I like most in this episode are kind of the, 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 sci-fi elements, the possibility of like a Legion show or not. I mean, not the FX X-Men one, but, you know, imagining like what it's been like for Legion to gain abilities and then lose them. Um, and things like that but i I think the episode overall i find you know i mean it's still better than better than average but you know this is a rare case where there are two kind of middling episodes for me in a row
0: yeah well i think that's sort of season six series six gets that doesn't it a little bit i said i actually i agree i mean you know we we did sort of um Rib on the on the Inquisitor, and I suppose Legion deserves the same. And that really, when you think about it, if he's made if he's made up of the personalities of those that are around him on this on this space station, he still seems to be sort of an articulate, educated, um, you know, sophisticated. Really, mm-hmm. you know, he, he knows about these foods, he knows how to do all these different bits and pieces. And gr- granted that you know he gets some of that knowledge from Crichton, but he isn't he isn't displaying personality traits of the others at all mm mm-hmm. you know it never but no i suppose th- maybe threatening to, to sort of stab himself in the groin to hurt them is is part of the bitterness <laughs> and, and sort of, of of you know the of of rimmer maybe but it it never feels like he you know if he's made up of those four people he's never actually mm-hmm. feels like he's made up of those four people he still he feels he still feels like he was made up of these great minds from before like so I suppose the question is, well, what does he retain from previous, um, you know, from previous uh, people? Does he does he retain anything, and does he have like a baseline personality that this is then added to, or what? Because when they're all unconscious, only Crichton's left, um, right, and you know he, he, he can only do certain things then. And if back in the day, then what about a crew? What about the entire crew? Because this thing wouldn't just have scientists on board; it would have had. Surely, other people working on it, you know, from securities straight down to the people that were fixing the uh nozzles on chicken soup machines. So, <laughs> it, yeah, it's again, it's a really interesting concept. But you know, I would there is potentially, say, a really good sci fi film that explores the, the idea of Legion if it was really well thought out. But, um, it's a, I, I enjoy the, the episode, but you're right, I don't think Legion fully works as a representation if he is supposed to be an amalgamation of their personalities doesn't quite work uh, in in that respect
1: yeah that's a very good point i mean i sort of feel as if that is tacked on halfway through you know there aren't really a lot of uh there's not it's not like there's a lot of foreshadowing where you know there there are gags associated with that foreshadowing and then you realize oh all right it's mirroring the crew mm. no that that just is tacked on and then that becomes you know it's kind of clever how they get out of it by having you know Crichton knock the others out um, you know uh, and then turn himself off Um, so I mean you know I mean it's not a bad episode but it it just uh, it does feel a little not fully thought out to me
0: Mm. no I agree I could agree with that Um, and so we, we do sort of move on to um, what i could describe then as a as a as a holodeck episode Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we get gunman of the apocalypse which which sees sort of the red dwarf crew going back to the wild west via virtual reality um when they get attacked they have they've they've scavenged or salvaged a, a virtual reality or AI, actually it's, it's an actual actual reality they call it um machine mm-hmm um, but then they are attacked by rogue simulants. Um, and this then adds more to the canon of what is needed later in the, in the series, because they're obviously built into this final episode. Um, when the simulants decide, these simulants are basically, we've met simulants before, not like these, but simulants are basically sort of droids that are designed for war and hate all humanity. And so they decide that they're going to upgrade Starbug so that they can be a bit of sport. And then they win, <laughs> yeah, um, which is is unusual, but then they they have to fight the simulants then fire off a uh, like a, a virus into the into the uh, computer that's sort of traps their navicom and directs them straight at a moon,
1: mm-hmm. and so they
0: have to go back to the wild west and, and it goes from there but I mean, what are your thoughts on this episode um
1: uh I think it's a it's a relatively lackluster episode um I mean, I I don't object to the rogue simulant thing. I mean, it, it's fun sort of seeing Crichton. The idea is that sort of like as the uh, rogue simulants have, uh, you know, uh, infected the, the ship and the ship is heading to the moon, it, it's very convoluted, right? Like Crichton mm-hmm. decides to infect himself, thinking it will kill him in order to analyze and purge the virus. Okay, you know, and so the way that displays itself is that, uh, Crichton, um, you know, feels as if he's a sheriff fighting the, you know, what is it? The apocalypse boys, uh, yeah. you know, which are death, war, famine, and pestilence, you know, from the, you know, from the, uh, New Testament. Okay. Why would Crichton think of it like this? Then they're using that, you know, uh, the AI, um, you know, equipment to go into Crichton's fantasy and, you know, okay. fun enough. I mean, it's fun seeing them, uh, it, you know, gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh, I mean, it's fun seeing that I, I like seeing Crichton as a scared sheriff, but you know, again, better than the, a- better than average. I mean, red dwarfs, mm. uh, worst episode is still, you know, better than the average of, of most <laughs> shows, but, um, I don't know that it has a lot to recommend it for me.
0: No, I agree. It's one of those that sort of like, it's a lot of the others, like we've said before, are made up of skits and end up becoming a relatively good whole, you know, from those skits as an episode. I agree. This one one doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got some interesting moments. You know, the first bit where you see that sort of Lister's been spending a lot of time in the actual reality machine, just to sort of basically sort of let off some frustration, you know, basically using tough sex with sort of like, um, characters in the game. (laughs) Um, that, that, that's quite funny and sort of like, you know, seems to sort of fit in with the, with the character and stuff. And I, I like sort of, um, Crichton's frustration when he's like, look, all I want to do is talk to him and I'll go into this bloody game. He sort of has to pick a character and stuff. And that all seems, that's all fine. Um, yeah, but the whole thing with sort of the simulants and stuff, um, it, in, in, in the, thing, it, I'm I'm getting to a point where I'm thinking like there's there's bits in this series where they knew what the last episode was going to be, and they had certain things that they wanted to do in the in the last episode, right? And so they sort of, they seem to be building up to that, but because they've never really done that before, they can't. They're not writing a serial. Do you know what I mean? So
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It, it almost feels like they're trying to write a serial, but they're not. They don't know how. So if if you look at some of again, like to go to American shows, you can watch. Um, uh, um, I'll use the X files maybe the X Files is probably a bad example, but actually I'll use Buffy, Buffy the Vampire state, as an example. Will have an overreaching arc across twenty some episodes you know, something you know who the big bad was of of that season. And then throughout it, you probably have individual episodes and then sort of like arc episodes and stuff. But even in the individual episodes, there'll be something that, that feeds in or sort of, you know, they'll touch base with that overreaching arc. And with this, already by Gunman of the Apocalypse, you sort of feel that, okay, well, we've, re- we've reestablished the baseline. Um, You know, we've lost Red Dwarf. Okay. With Legion, okay, well, we're going to give Rimmer um, a hard light drive so we're going to upgrade him. Okay, brilliant. Gunman the Apocalypse. We're now going to upgrade uh, Starbuck. you know we're going to give it better technology. We're going to give it laser cannons. You're thinking, oh, okay, well, they seem to be doing a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. but they're not, but they're not used to doing it, and so it feels forced. Yeah. Oh, okay well how how are they going to get upgrades to uh start to starbuck oh well how about rogue simulants okay well, what happens with that how would they come across this i don't know it, it, at this point i am beginning to feel this series is sort of a little bit um sh- shaky and and sort of you know not as like I say not as well written and maybe maybe that's what the arguments were over
1: yeah it's possible i mean you know, for me, the individual... I mean, we're three episodes in. The individual episodes just are not good. Uh, no. I mean, they're not terrible. But, you know, we haven't even mentioned, like, the the end of this episode is, you know, Crichton's uh, guns have doves on them, which is a mm. reference to his dove programming that pacifies the virus. Oh, that really, you know, like, never heard of that. And also, so literal, like, it's like, ai don't know, a... a Bad uh, simulated reality story. Um, You know, the apocalypse gang erases their special skills. So, you know, like Lister can't throw a knife anymore. You know, it's like, okay, you have to believe they have special skills. I don't know how that works. You know, you've invented these special skills only to take them away. Um, You know, I don't know. Um, You know, I, I know what you're saying. Like, I kind of feel like at the end of the first episode, like, oh, you're going to do a continuing story now. Um, It does feel at the end of that first episode, like they're kind of announcing that they're doing that. Um, Mm. You know, like, Oh, we're approaching a nebula. You know, it feels like they're going to do a continuing plot and I don't expect it, especially given past seasons and that this is, you know, 93. I don't expect this to be a serialized story um, the way shows are now. Right. Um, but I do expect it to be kind of like an odyssey of like, well, we're searching for red dwarf. I, you know, like I know what you're saying about all these little things. you know, each episode kind of sets up another thing. Um, but it seems to me as if the one thing they need to do is have this be like an odyssey on the way to find red dwarf again. Um, Mm Like, we're searching for a Dwarf. They barely even (laughs) mention Red Dwarf through most of these episodes, you know. So, I mean, I would rather they mention Red Dwarf and just, you know, give me... uh, And and don't uh, set up all these little things, if if that makes sense. I mean, that would be more of a continuing uh, continuing story. Um, But it is kind of uh, occurring in 93, which is kind of this weird pivot point where... um, You know, science fiction in the 90s uh, on TV was changing. And so previously, like it was all uh, serialized, you know, it was all not serialized, but it was all episodic. Right. So every episode Mm -hmm. of Star Trek is just episodic. And then, you know, we're coming up on like, you know, Babylon 5. And Mm. then later on, we're going to get, you know, the revived Battlestar Galactica. And basically, like, from then on, you have to do serialized story. You cannot do episodic story. So even, you know, these days, you're bucking the trend to do episodic stuff. Um, You know, and even, like, the revived uh, Doctor Who always has some kind of season-long kind of thing connecting it together, Mm. uh, despite the episodic history of that show. So, I mean, this is, you know, Red Dwarf is kind of, again, a little ahead of its time in 93 doing that, but it's just not really working for me.
0: No, I agree. I, I definitely agree. And it feels more than ever watching it this time around. It felt that, I felt that clunkiness. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it's not, there's parts. If the, if these episodes were just more, um either episodic or like you say, look, and I love the idea of that, of it just being an odyssey of, you know, they, or they come across things, but like, it's less about what they're gaining towards. Um, Cause even like say, you say about them sort of talking about red dwarf, it sort of becomes a bit of a, the trope of this series is, is at the end of every episode, they just go, oh, okay, well we better get, you know, we better get back onto what we were doing so we can go and find red dwarf. And <laughs> then they do. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well that's what you're going to do. Um, and then the next season, the next episode, he's like, say he's back to them sort of doing whatever. And at the end of the episode, they'll mention, we've got to find red dwarf. Um, yeah. And I find that it's really with gunman. And that's, that's where it sort of sits. I'm finding it's really clunky. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's bits that are fun, you know, um, uh, I think cat as the Riviera kid is, 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 is you know, it's quite funny. Um, but overall, it's just not a great episode. um, but i have to say the next episode emo hawk Poly, you know polymorph 2 this is a is a real low point for me yes yeah um agreed it it feels this is the episode like basically sort of they um they have yet another accident another crash in red dwarf and the, the oxy unit the oxy generation unit is is broken. So they've got to go and trade with a GELF settlement. Another thing, like I say that we're not going to use aliens, but we're going to have GELFs, which is a genetic engineered life form, which is genetically engineered by humans, apparently for what purpose. We don't know, but they seem to have settled in space as (laughs) I don't know. They're aliens. Let's be honest. They're just meant to be aliens. Um, so they go and sort of like trade with these gelfs, and because of uh, we'll get into why, but a disagreement, they send a mini, well, basically, what is, sort of a tame polymorph after the crew, and it doesn't work like the other one. You, the other one did, because <laughs> um, it brings back Ace Rimmer, and it sort of brings back Dwayne Dibley. And again, I know it's, I know it's about you know it, the thing is, it, it sort of it's telling when you watch this episode. That when the polymorph attacks Rimmer and attacks Kat, and those two characters appear, the 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 obviously the live studio audience's response is you know there's a cheer, way, and it feels like a boost, you know, and it almost feels to me a bit like they know that this series hasn't been great to date, <laughs> so let's throw a couple of things in that people really love, but it doesn't even fit into the canon of what polymorphs do. <laughs> Right. Like this one, this one physically changes them.
1: Yes. It's very strange, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's called, so there was a previous episode polymorph. Here you have Emohawk, polymorph two, mm. Um, but it's not, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's not a sequel. It's using the concept of a shape changing thing, but instead of like feeding on their emotions and sucking out a part of their personality, it changes them, uh, mm. physically. Um, I don't know. And it's, and also the entire point of the emohawk is just, I mean, the thing you haven't said is that this Gelf is like, it's a primitive kind of like Conan, like society, you know, mm-hmm. um, another kind of like Star Trek planet that they, they got to go down and get the, the dilith- dilithium crystals from. Um, and the Gelf chieftain <laughs> wants to uh, have Lister marry his daughter. And, Okay, so that's kind of like good for a chuckle. But then they just run away, right? You know, like and yeah. then that that's over. We'll never see those that society again. It doesn't matter because the real um conflict is that the chieftain releases his uh polymorph creature that is a, in the shape of a falcon to, you know, go get them and get revenge and the rest of the episode is them Fighting the the emo hawk that does not act like the previous polymorph, I don't know what to say.
0: <laughs> no, this is it. It's a really sort of confusing episode. Like the only point of this episode, and again, I, I I will will allude to what happens in that final episode, but th- this episode has no point. <laughs> you know, I, I know, I know. Like they're not supposed in some points they're not supposed to, but I just. There's not even a great deal that's funny in this episode. Like the writing feels really down. Do you know what I mean? Like the jokes mm-hmm. aren't very funny. The polymorph doesn't doesn't seem to. I mean, one of the great things about the polymorph in that first the first time round, um, for me at least, was sort of seeing when it when it travels around the ship. You know what I mean? It was quite funny. So it turns into a rubber ball and bounces down yeah. the corridor and then things. Like in this, they sort of try to do it again, but it never feels as good. It's and then. But then for him to bring back Ace Rimmer and, and Dwayne Dibley, mm-hmm. um, again, it, it just sort of feels like, okay, so not only are we going to bring back the Polymorph, which everyone likes that episode, so we're going to throw that in. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to throw in Ace Rimmer, because we all know you like a bit of Ace Rimmer,
1: mm-hmm. and then we're going
0: to throw in Dwayne Dibbley for fun. And and that seems to be it. Yes. absolutely that's literally that's literally like oh we're going to do a six episodes for this series so oh oh i'm struggling for this one what do we do like that's and and that's how this feels it's 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 a real i'm not just a real low point for this series i feel this is a real low point for the show um it feels lazy is what this episode feels i don't don't like to say it but I i just feel that this episode is lazy
1: yeah i don't i don't disagree with you i mean i don't know that it is necessarily the low point of the show for me, but it. But to, to what,
0: this point, I would say, uh, for me at least, I think it's yeah. one of the lesser episodes. To to this point, it gets. There are f- ones down the line that I will uh, <laughs> criticize.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. I mean, I I think for me, like you know, if for me the problem isn't even this episode, and I you know I agree with all of your criticisms of this episode. You know, I don't think that it's terrible. You know, I mean, I've certainly watched a lot of terrible sci-fi. Um, I don't know that it's terrible. What is terrible for me is that we're four episodes into the season and all of them I thought, thought were basically like, you know, around the six, you know, mm. maybe like a five, you know, in this one. I mean, you know, um the, I there have been episodes before that I thought were like, okay, this has gotta be the, the worst episode so far. Um, but they're bracketed on both sides by episodes that are better. and they're never more than, you know one or two episodes away from something that I think like, oh, that is essential that I cannot yeah. imagine not knowing this episode. We're four episodes in and nothing has been essential. No, yeah. you know, and we have not had a streak of episodes this bad in the entire show's history.
0: No. And that's, I think the problem is it like this, like you said there's not much to say about emo Hawk. It's just, it's just, um, it, it just, it just feels like, no, I mean, not duds because I think all of them, have, it's, there are moments in every single one, even emo Hawk where I will chuckle. There are, you know, there are jokes that land at some point. Um, I mean, you know, the one that I will say about emo Hawk that does make me, let me laugh. And it, you know, it's unfortunate is, um, the plan is that they lock, that the Emo Hawk is trapped in the ship. And so Ace, uh, this is the new version of Ace Rimmer having sort of been attacked by the Polymorph decides the only way to sort of save uh, Lister and Crichton is to open the airlock and get basically th- him, um, Dwayne Dibley slash cat, and the mm-hmm. Polymorph sucked out into space. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make sure it's quick for, for for Dwayne Dibley, he intends to sort of stand behind him and break his neck Uh, and just to snap his neck just before the airlock opens and uh, the 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 to know that's going to happen but then to see like to see Rimmer setting it up like (laughs) Dwayne stand here my old chum and sort of like is 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 really that bit's funny like you know that I I do like that and again it comes back to that sort of I think to be fair that British cynicism of like you know because Ace is a hero character and he's willing to not only sacrifice himself, but kill somebody else yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, to do it. Like, I'm not sure Kirk would do that. Um, and I, yeah, so there's little, there's little moments like that, but then when they go after the polymorph, you then get the stu- silliness of Dwayne Dibley, now all dressed in full series five kind of, you know, regalia. And he's like, Oh, I've dropped, I've dropped my thermos. And he picks up and he's got two thermoses. And I'm just like that, that, you know what I mean it, it just it just it's not good is this, this yeah. episode it's not
1: the bouncing ball you know
0: no exactly um so yeah i, I just feel that, that polymorph 2 is a missed opportunity because i do like the polymorph i think it it was a great idea for a character it just it just uh, well um yeah, I mean, you,
1: I, if I recall correctly, I mean, you liked poly, the original Polymorph more than I do anyway. Yeah. So, you know, imagine, <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, it's <laughs> like, oh, you know, well, that was another episode. Uh, it's not terrible. I mean, you know, yeah. look, it, it's still, it's not terrible, but it's just the, you know, I mean, this is really the beginning of seasons in which there are bad episodes strung together. You know, and I think the show has just been through five seasons. Um, Every season just has two or three that I think are really just fantastic. Uh, I cannot imagine having not seen. And it's got plenty of others that I think are, uh, you know, high notes. And it maybe has one uh, episode that is on par with these first four. So it's it's just that market change that is alarming to me. On the other hand, I really like Rimmer World.
0: Yes, I was going to say it picks up with Rimmer World, um, which is a lot of fun. I mean, this the the concept for this, and again, it's whenever we get to Rimmer, I swear it's just it's just, <laughs> the, it's just the best character. Because um, again, you know they they go back to the um, they 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 go back to the set uh, simulant ship, isn't it? They go back to the simulant ship that was damaged. Uh, that they fought in Gunman of the Apocalypse, because they realise that the ship has actually loaded full of supplies, and it has a teleportation on there. So they've got a teleporter as well, which uh, um, I think comes up at some point. Um, so they do. So they have this thing, and then they do when they are trapped, in, and then they get attacked by a damaged simulant, and Rimmer escapes using the only escape pod on the on the simulant ship. Um, but in doing so, he gets sucked into a black hole and sent off to a different planet where, for him, it might be, a, well, for, for the dwarf crew, it may be a couple of hours before they get to pick him up. But for right. him, it's going to be about 600 years. Um, <laughs> but he does have terraforming and genetic seeding technology on the escape pod. And, uh, yeah, it, it goes from there Um I, I. There are moments in this that are that are brilliant, absolute moments of 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 genius. I mean, let's like say, um, Rimmer World is is probably the high point of this series so far. Um, but yes, yeah, so what are your thoughts on Rimmer World? What do you like about it?
1: Oh, I love it. I mean, I I think this is you know this is a classic episode. You know, this is the best episode of the season for me. Mm. It is uh, on par you know, finally five episodes in, we have gotten one that is on par with the classic episodes of the previous seasons. Um, mm. you know, I love the, uh, the sort of world, the, the idea is that, you know, over these 600 years, Rimmer has, you know, not only terraformed the planet, but created an entire society of Rimmers. Um, you know, and then you find out, uh, you know, it, it's sort of amusing, like, uh, they value cowardice, you know, yeah. Uh, You know, um, you know, when they, when they, um, pick up the rest of the Red Dwarf crew, you know, they say, you know, it's terrible. They did not even attempt to sell each other out. (laughs) That's a terrible negative. Um, you know, and then you find out Rimmer's been in prison for 557 years, you know, which is actually quite longer than I would imagine he would have stayed out of prison. I mean, you know, 43 years he made it. Um, but, uh. He says, you know, he's surrounded by thousands of backstabbing Judases, you know, (laughs) which again kind of connects to how Rimmer hates himself. Um, Mm. You know, know, he obviously just detests himself. Um, So, I mean, I I just think this is is great fun. This is a return to form. This is not just a return to form, and it's a solidly good episode, but this is one that would stand up alongside, um, you know, some of the best stuff. And... If uh, and I think that if I had to choose between like Meltdown uh, at hmm. the end of four and uh, Rimmer World, which are both kind of Rimmer set loose on a planet in some way, I think I'd prefer Rimmer World.
0: No, I think I'd agree, actually. Um, cause, I mean, this has got some great, you know, it, there's the, the this the the, episode, the reason I like this episode, it has little digs again. It's sort of like sci-fi tropes. Like, he's got the terraforming uh, technology it's just a couple of rockets and then in 7 days like it becomes like from a desert planet to like a really lush verdant sort of <laughs> green uh forest planet um and then he's got the i like the they've got the genetic technology and not only so he's decided he's going to create himself a woman because he's now got his hard life <laughs> drive. Um, and and what he says, well, you know, the, the weird thing I would say is it's going to be, it's a nitpick. He says, you know, I can make I can make a clone from my own DNA, and I'm thinking, well, you're actually made of of light. Yes. So where where's your DNA coming from? Um, true. But is, which is you know, but that aside. But when he does make it, whilst the cocoon is there and it's sort of gestating, and he's sort of like, technically, she will be my sister, and therefore could not take me as my lover. After long considered thought, I decided. I just won't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which again sort very of very Rimmer, yeah, exactly, um, and, and, I, and I love that. Um, and so the jokes are good, but I also quite like the the the, the world that you know that, that creates. It's a Roman world, like you know. This again feeds into Rimmer's fantasy of a militaristic. Like I could imagine Rimmer at the head of this at one point you know, building this sort of Roman Empire kind of, um, uh, you know, society. Um, Because it's great when they do go to the hall, uh, the main hall, and he's there. um, uh, You know, this rimmer sort of has got a H on his head. And and, um, they say, you are not the original, you know, I am he. And it's clear that sort of there may have been, there's obviously been a number of um, clone rimmers that have all been this emperor figure but have all claimed to be the original um hologrammatic Rimmer. Mm-hmm. and I, I just find that's quite interesting as well that this is a, even within the society there's a sort of an un, you know there's a, a sort of a um a backstabbingness <laughs> and, and sort of underhandiness and it would not surprise me if because they all look like Rimmer even the women which is really creepy um it would not surprise me if one is killed off and replaced by another, and they just put the H on their head and, and sort of, you know, they don't, they don't, no one sort of acknowledges it. It just sort of, it's just an accepted thing that each one is killed off and replaced by another. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that. But I also like the fact that they like say that he's got these two sort of beauties either side of him, but when he sort of pulls back the masks, it's sort of, it is Chris Barry's face uh, as Rimmer. <laughs> so.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's clever. I found myself to, you know, maybe like a little twinge of being disturbed that maybe that hasn't aged as well. The idea of sort of like having a man, uh, with, with, uh, depicted as a woman is, is a joke, you know, sort of like, there's a kind of like potential anti-trans reading to it that, uh, you know, I just had a sort of twinge.
0: I, I, you know, I thought the same, but then I thought actually this is more about Rimmer's ego. Yes, and also probably his incompetence in that he can't get the genetic mixture <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I, so,
1: but I do think that the you know way in which that H on his uh, forehead has evolved to become a symbol. My God, that's brilliant! Mm. I mean, you know, and it's a throwaway idea. But I am always in love with concepts of sort of cultural change and cultural deformation. And I'm obviously and I tend to be more interested in those elements of stories than I am, you know, the characters and somebody, you know, deciding to man up or be a good dad or a good mom mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, I mean, I like these kind of broader points and you know, it's not, it's a subtle thing, but that's also a sort of dig at, you know, religion and how things become invested in value. And, you know, uh, you look back in history and you say, yeah, you know, that thing that the Pope wears in formal settings. Yeah. That was a bib. That's how that got started, (laughs) You you know? Um, and it's revered now. So I, I, it's a very small touch, but I really did love
0: that. Well it's interesting that they touch onto this again with Rimmer, considering they've actually done something similar with Lister. You know, Lister saved uh, Frankenstein and um, you know, which spawned the cat species and then they went off into space and there was the whole thing around Cloister the Stupid and mm-hmm. the Civil War over what colour the hat should be and all that kind of stuff. Like you've actually sort of you you're now sort of putting Rimmer on par with Lister of like, you know, right, well you you know Lister, you created the cat species, but well actually Rimmer literally created a species of people like he has populated up he is god like he has created a world and populated it with these beings um and so uh, you know it's, how you know the whole list of things um well until recently has never really been mentioned again but i just mm-hmm. thought that was interesting as well the sort of the difference between that that um you know as you said sort of like the the way their look works with Lister, he became a sort of a figure of, you know, a deity, a figure to be worshipped, and, and all this other stuff. With with Rimmer, he ends up in prison for <laughs> five fifty seven years with a, right. with a set of with a set of sort of ever decreasing worry balls. Um, and again, so it's sort of I, I like that that they do sort of parallel the characters, but it really is that's exactly what would happen to Rimmer. <laughs> is he would create a species and it would turn on him. Um,
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, and and that's that same sort of theme from Terraform and and elsewhere, sort of like, Mm. you know, Rimmer hates himself. It's not going to go well for him having multiple Rimmers. I mean, you know, seeing Ace Rimmer is bad for him, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it fits into, I mean, you know, one of the problems that, that we've reached kind of, you know, six series in is, the repetition, you know, that we right. have many sort of like repeated plots, different permutations of them. Some are more successful than others. This is an episode that does repeat a lot of stuff, but it works. And and I would argue it's it's maybe better than some of the things that it's, it's borrowing from. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, what you're pointing out is is sort of like repeating the something that's been played with or a trope that's been used before. But um, you know, em- employing it in a new way, using it for Arnie and then um, reflecting his character in a way that feels right without making such a point of it that it's like, Oh, I get it. A whole episode about this one point. I've seen three of those by now.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think that's it. I say, And I think part of this is down to the fact that they have, li- I honestly think they've limited themselves, haven't they? Sort of, you know, if, if they were able to introduce alien elements and some other things, then maybe they would be able to explore other things. Um, but they are limited to what they can do, I suppose with these, these four characters, uh, and they do some really inventive stuff, but it is starting to repeat a little bit. Um, so that's rimable, but I do, I do think it's a good episode. Well, and I do really enjoy it. Yeah. And,
1: and I, I completely agree. I think it's a classic and, you know, it does end with, you know, uh, Crichton's, you know, this uh, teleporter. Right. And they teleport into the future where, you know, they're told, oh, you know, Rimmer's fine. Lister is in dem- danger now. Rimmer mm-hmm. World was weeks ago. So, you know, just kind of tucked in to this episode that's already great. You have one of those sort of like future echoes moments that the show excels in and does so well
0: yes and again i was gonna say you know i said about all the each episode seems to throw in something towards this last episode um this is where sort of like so with emo hawk i'm gonna we'll get to a minute but with emo hawk um that you know they get their traits and list a sort of uh, sorry the says at the end of it well you know we've got it we've got the emo hawk we've got its dna we can return um you know you to your former selves and they actually say to uh they say to uh, Rimmer, "Rimmer, do you want to be a Terminator?" He's like, "Can I just stay as Ace for for another week?" Mm-hmm. Now we've heard, we've seen that he's continued his snidiness and all this other stuff, and he's obviously been in prison for for uh, some time. But there's obviously this element of him being able, sort he has he's been back as Ace and he has shown some bravery. So to me, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that's something with Rimmer world. Yes, it shows this future echo of Lister is now in. They said this. We're now concerned about the hideous uh, thing that's <laughs> happened to Lister. And you're left, and that is, well, yeah. Where am I? And then we jump to the final episode of of the series. Um, and again, it's, it's. I would say that it's a, it's above average. It's okay. It's pretty. Well, it's pretty good. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Um. I I do like this thing at the beginning though with the reality bubbles. Mm-hmm. when they're trying to get to the so they're trying to get to a ship that has some potential technology that could really be helpful it's a time travel technology um, but they've got to get through this reality bubble field and some of these are quite funny um, but yeah but, anyway, but what are you what are your, your thoughts on sort of out of time especially as it's sort of uh, as we're coming to the end of the series uh,
1: well I agree it's, it, it's better than those first four episodes um, I don't think that it's quite a classic in mm. in the way that Rimmer World is, I mean, Rimmer World is the best of the season. Out of Time has the potential to be that good, but it doesn't quite come together. You know, like mm. it's got a lot of elements, and I think especially watching the sixth season, I you know having gone through, I, I don't want to say trudge through those first four episodes because they're not that bad, but you know, Rimmer World is great. Out of Time, I want it to be better than it than it really is. Um, You know, and I think it's just, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to kind of come together as a coherent episode, but it's got a lot that's really good. Um, Mm. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned, you know, even just the beginning, um, you know, (laughs) you know, it has nothing to do with the episode, but Rimmer, uh, you know, announces that, uh, you know, to raise morale, they're going to, you know, sort of like have a a Seinfeld-esque kind of airing of grievances, and he yeah. goes around and berates every member of the crew and then says, well, that's enough for today. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's a silly gag. It has nothing to do with the episode, but, uh, but it works and it's funny.
0: Yeah. I, I do like that. He, he just goes off. Least, do you know what I really hate about Lister? <laughs> and then that's, and that's sort of just it. Yeah. It's a, uh, it is a good gag. Um, but yeah, again, like I say, some of the silliness in it as well, sort of like this. I said, I said before, like the reality bubble, sort of you know the whole bit when when the cats disappeared, or they think the cats disappeared, and um, but the 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 main one being that they find out that um, Lister is a robot, or Listers a droid, mm-hmm. um, and he's you know he's a, he's a uh, a three thousand series. A uh, le- lesser than, than Crichton's a four thousand series, and I like there's, there's a concept in there that I kind of like when they actually say, "Rimmer actually says it, well, Why does he look more advanced than you? Like, you know, why does mm-hmm. he look more sophisticated? And I kind of like Crichton's response is sort of like, "Well, basically, they obviously went for the three thousand series, and people humans didn't feel comfortable with with androids that looked that that human." So, so basically, they they backtracked and made Crichton. So he looks like he looks like that, out of choice, um, and weirdly, I like that as a bit of a backstory. Like you know, Crichton, Crichton isn't um, what's the word before? Isn't restricted? He isn't. He isn't. You know, like poor technology. Like his face and him being angular is actually a choice. Like mm-hmm. It wasn't, it's not a flaw. It's actually, yeah, we chose to make a lot of that because people feel more comfortable looking at something that doesn't look so human. Um, and for of the, but knowing that, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of like that information.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like that idea. I kind of feel as if it is a sort of retcon. Like, I, I feel as if I've seen that a lot of times to explain why, like, um, You know, why do you have uh, a more advanced uh, uh, Android showing up, you know, in continuity Mm -hmm. prior to, you know, uh, a a future one that was that seems, you know, more clumsy? Um, and, And I think there are elements. I mean, there's something like that in Blade Runner, too, of sort of, you know, the. You know, wanting the more advanced models that the more advanced models were sort of too human. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I'm not bothered by it. I think it's interesting, but it immediately strikes me as like, oh, well, that's your explanation for why Lister looks human, and mm. you know, and in in its order to to get into the main joke, which is you know, um, and I, and I think it works quite 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 well, even though it's not you know. You know, the problem with this episode is that it's not all one story, right? It's bits and mm. pieces. And so this piece works really well. It's uh, Lister, um, you know, has been discovered to be a robot, which you later find out is because of this, I think, pretty smart idea of like reality lines, um, And Crichton instantly, you know, finds out well that he outranks him because he's a more <laughs> superior android and just starts you know, making Lister his bitch, you know, and doing all of the, the drone work and, and is vicious and cruel and mean. And it's quite it's quite charming. Um, it's disturbing, though, in, in a way that, you know, you sort of, I like Crichton so much. And Crichton is, I think, set up to be very likable. Um, mm-hmm. And he has weird ideas about Silicon Heaven and whatever else, but he's so likable and he's good-natured and he does work for them while, while you know... You know, saying smig head, yeah. you know, uh, you know, he's so charming. And here you see a really dark side to Crichton that the moment he finds out Lister is not just an android, but uh, an inferior one, he just, you know, yeah. if Crichton yeah. were a human, he would uh, treat androids far worse than any of them treat him.
0: Well, he'd probably be closer to Rimmer, <laughs> yeah because um, I know it like you know, in, in episodes like you say like the Rimmer refers to him as Captain Bogbot and uh, you know, he he sort of does talk down to him. So it's almost like they, what they say sort of like you know, people like to kick down, don't they, that opportunity to sort of uh, have someone lesser than you to sort of to poke fun at and, and be superior to. And like I say, the moment he's given the opportunity, like he relishes in it, doesn't he? Sort of uh, making him do little little biscuit houses and, and all kinds of things. Um yeah, and again, like this leads to several jokes. Like I kind of like the joke when they get they do find there's a, a time travel technology in there, Um and when they do they do travel through time and they pick a year 1421, and mm-hmm. they go, okay, well, we're going to travel back to 1421, and they do. And Croydon's like, oh, the, the stars that they're all, yeah, what, what information we have. This is 1421. Like, well, it looks exactly the same. He's like, well, yeah, we're still. We're still three million years into deep space. <laughs> we, haven't <laughs> gone, we haven't gone anywhere. We're just in fourteen twenty one. This is what it, the, this part of space looked like in fourteen twenty one, um, and I kind of think that's that's you know that's um, an interesting. We've said with we, you know we've said obviously time travel comes into this. But one of the key things in time travel, actually, that's that um, has always sort of bothered me ever since I sort of learned about it um, as a teenager that sort of and I let it slide with certain films and whatever. But the 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 planet moves, right? The Earth is yes. not rotate, but it travels through space. And if you were to travel back to whatever period in time, say from 1985 back to 1955, say in a car. Well, who's to say that you'd actually, you, who's to say that you, when you went travel back, the earth would even be there? Yes. Um, no,
1: I have often thought of exactly that same thing. And and not yeah. just, you know, the earth moves, but, it, you know, it also, uh, our solar system oscillates up and down the galactic plane. You know, we do not yeah. stay in the same place in the galaxy, um, you know. Yeah, and it's like, yep. Every time you travel back in time, you you should be materializing in like the void between solar systems, you know. Uh, that's it.
0: Um But they address that in this episode because eventually, yeah. what they, we we meet their future. We do meet the that we we'll get to. In fact, we meet the future red dwarf crew, and what they're doing is they've combined the time machine with the teleporter that they got from the simulant ship. So they do combine the two to be able to travel, not just any when, but anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I like about this most is being given this technology, the crew don't go back to earth and stay there. You know what I mean? They don't sort of like listed sort of thing of going and finding Kachansky and is, is, you know, having his farm on Fiji and all this other stuff. I mean, granted he becomes, as we say, he becomes a brain in the jar, right? But none of that seems to be sort of like, now they've got this technology, they just abuse the technology. (laughs) They don't just use it to go home and stay home. They just travel through space and time abusing this technology. Um, Or at least not really abusing it, but just using it for their own vices and their own pleasure. And I sort of find that, again, sort of, you know, this crew, they're not supposed to be moral, are they? That's the thing. They're not sort of a centre of morality or anything but they could be corrupted further so you know is <laughs> is that a fair shout that actually that's exactly what they would happen in sort of 20 30 years time
1: yeah and it fits into what you were saying about sort of like be careful what you wish for right you know that yeah. that uh, that kind of trope that every time they get something it it works out badly it's and and they're quite disgusted by their future selves um you know you're you're quite right about the the intelligence of kind of like you know, oh, well, so much for Kachansky and, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the... Uh, farm on Fiji. Right. It, the farm, the, the, like, burger place or whatever, you know, that... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so much for that dream, you know. Now we can go through time and, you know, they say, like, to experience the very best of history, you know. And they're so snobby. Yeah. um, <laughs> But, you know, you can see the advantage, right? I mean, you can see why... I mean, I guess it's this idea of, like, power corrupts, right? But, I mean, you can see why if you've got a time machine, why would you be like, yeah, you know, let's uh, go back to when I wasn't the last human and sit there and you know, wait to die on Fiji, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I do quite like this. Even though, you know, again, my complaint is kind of like, I, I love this part. I don't know how it fits into the same episode where you found out, you know, uh, Lister was a robot for you know five ten minutes, um, but this is quite good.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it feels. In, it, what I would say is one of the things um, is they never. This is something that I've always felt by this episode. Now, I, I'm, I'm probably need to get to a lot deeper. Although they go back to 1421, they never travel anywhere. But they they say it took them three days to travel through the reality um, minefield. Um right. and at no at no point do they acknowledge that they've left it.
1: Yes. That's a very good point. But I mean and, they go back in time, right?
0: Uh yes, they go back to 1421. and I think that's where is that where they get met by their future yes. selves? Yeah, right. Mm. So they
1: go back in 1421. Presumably they've escaped the reality minefield. Yeah. But but you're right. I mean, it is really disturbing. It's like you have this smart idea of a reality minefield, and you know, Obviously, like, you know, Lister being a robot is better than, you know, the crew having animal heads, you know. Uh, You know, some of those ideas are better than others. But that is, like, the first half of the episode. And then Mm. they go back in time and it's like, oh, you know. I mean, you were saying, like, The Simpsons earlier. I think of, like, you know, Family Guy or American Dad where the plots just kind of veer this direction and then that, you know, and becomes a totally different story.
0: Um, But they get visited by their future selves because the Future selves machine has has damaged or is, is, is isn't working, mm. um, and so they need to replicate apart from their past selves from this newer version of the machine, um, and so they've gone back because they know that they first travel back to so this fourteen twenty one, um, and I kind of like the idea that like Crichton tries to sort of protect the others by saying I'm going to lock you all away because you can't see you know and then when they're gone I can erase my memory sort of thing and that sort of all seems to make sense but clearly it's never going to work out um but what what do you think of sort of you know um the actual future selves like you know these characters what you know like i I like the fact that like crichton wearing a pastel suit and a a wig (laughs) yeah um yeah yeah
1: well uh, well the funny thing is crichton looks at his former self the one we're familiar with and he says what (laughs) does he say like you know did i used to look like that (laughs)
0: Yeah, I can't believe I used to look that silly. He's sort of like, yeah, it's, uh, it, is, it is great. There's some, you know, Danny John Jules as sort of a future cat has really let himself go and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I even, I even like the fact that, like, Rimmer, with his, sorry, Lister, with his brain in the jar, has still they've still maintained his dreadlocks um, yes. off the back of the jar. Um, yeah, again, I think they're interesting. Um you know, as conceits and stuff. But we know that we we know that this comes back to this time travel thing again. Like you know, for all the things we've seen about time travel in in Red Dwarf, like these are just another version, aren't they, of what right. could be? Um, you know, this isn't the Lister that went back and married Kachansky. This isn't the uh, right. Um, the one that you know, this isn't the Lister that that sort of lay in the bed. Well, it may not, but you never know. The the, uh, the ancient Lister that was sort of sat there and, and um, uh, frustrated rimmer in future echoes that sort of thing, right? Um, so it, yeah, I, I just think these are, these are more funny, like, entertaining sort of future versions. Yeah, um, and, I,
1: and I think that's maybe a weakness of of this episode. That I mean, my central problem with this episode, even though again second best of the season, you know, I think it's it's a strong yeah. episode. Is, is that it? is divided in that way. And you're like, well, well, what happened to that reality minefield? Oh, who cares? You know, we're on to this other thing. Mm. All those things are good. They don't really fit together. But you know, I feel like we've seen so many versions of future echoes by now. Like, and I and you know, I love the second episode, but you know, we've seen so many versions of them. And at this point, it's clearly, you know, a trope of the show that you see this future self and getting back to the point of like that you raised earlier about you know determinism versus being able to alter reality well this episode has the same problem right i mean mm. you know they you know have met their future selves they you know i mean i i, I guess you know i guess it doesn't i mean I, but we're following our current characters yet if this timeline continues they become the future selves that go back and meet the current characters clearly interacting with them is going to alter that future. You know, Mm. this is not what happened the first time through. And in fact, they talk about like, Oh, we're fine. Killing our former selves better that than living like you, you know, there's some kind of wobbliness with it, with the time travel thing that while it's fun seeing this amoral, uh, future versions of them, um, it's not maybe as controlled and as clever as, as Dwarf is sometimes done.
0: No, I, I think the other thing as well is, I mean, this is 1993 now. So you're looking at not yet end of 1993. So the, the the other problem is, of course, they actually state in the show. That they, I think these um, these are the these are themselves from 15 years in the future. Mm-hmm. So what's that? 93. So. Two thousand three, two thousand eight would have been. We're now way beyond that. Right, (laughs) still getting episodes. Um, And there's actually, I would say, one of the sort of the flaws of the current series. But whilst still not bad, is the fact that like the status sort, the status quo still sort of is maintained. And, you know, is there is there actually a more interesting story of how the hell did they end up to, being, to become those corrupted cells over over a decade or whatever? Um, you know, sometimes there's a real flaw, I think, in maintaining that status quo. Um, but, yeah, like you say, from a time travel point of view, yeah, it does. It starts to sort of, you know, it starts to sort of throw kinds of wobbly bits and pieces in, doesn't it? Because um, it's, it's, again, this episode does end on a cliffhanger. Yes, and you are you 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 are left with almost that same sort of future echoes, um, problem, <laughs> if, if if anything, aren't you? or so, oh, sorry, the parallel universe ec- uh, problem of well, you sort of paint yourself into a corner. So how the hell do you get out of this one? Um, I mean,
1: well, it's red dwarf, so we know it doesn't matter, right? I mean, yeah, that's true. You know.
0: um, but I do like the final moments issue because as you've sort of said yes. i mean this was not because it doesn't come back for four years and I remember when this when this came out I remember watching this quite vividly actually i remember watching this and being absolutely gobsmacked absolutely gobsmacked and thinking a year later thinking right, well like, you know it'll be explained in series seven like what happened and then not happening and being really sort of worried i mean it didn't absorb my life granted but it would, it took you know i was it was in my mind um because what happens is sort of like you know they refuse they tell them to sod off the, the present selves the present crew tell the future crew to sod off and then the future crew attacks um current red dwarf using the laser cannons that the simulants gave them uh back in Gunman of the apocalypse again this is a culmination of all those episodes and so they do go into a battle but the future self clearly slightly better at it all and more willing to do anything actually starts to take out the crew. And the first one to die is Lister. Like they literally, mm-hmm. there's a gun, there's a gun battle and they kill Lister. And I, from the moment that happened, this, this is what in my head I was like, are they still in that reality field? Is this, is this fake? Mm-hmm. It's not like they've killed Lister. Then they kill the cat. Um, <laughs> And I'm just like, what, what the hell? Like I'm watching this and being like, you said gobsmacked. I'm like, what is going on? Um, and then they kill Crichton. Like Crichton gets hit, and he's sort of like you know, in, and Rimmer's like, you know, is there a way out of this Because Crichton? Crichton says, oh, there's a there's a sir, there's a way out of this. We could, and then gets shot and gets blown up, and like Rimmer is sort of like um, in a moment of of, of bravery and. Yes, uh, leadership really uh, does sort of step up. Is like, it what can you know, it? What is it, Crichton? You were going to say something, and it it dawns on him. He runs to the engineer and he shoots the um,
1: time drive. He sh-
0: the time drive at the exact same moment that actually that the future selves shoot the past red dwarf, and all you see is the last set, the last shot of this series is Starboard being obliterated, mm-hmm. and it just says to be continued. And,
1: ding ding ding, ding ding ding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This um, is like a, the, the the best of both worlds, part one for Red Dwarf, and yeah. especially for you as a kid. I
0: was I was literally my jaw was on the floor um watching this. I mean, again, like, I, I will say that, you know the the, uh, the production crew and the, some of the music as well. So that moment when they're all getting shot and the music that's playing and everything is sort of rumors running through and he grabs one of the bazookoids and stuff like even watching it now, like again, like the, the, there's parts of the episode that are a bit pants or a bit naff, but there's other bits that are really good. The fight, the last two minutes of this episode. Yeah. Uh, f- for me, a brilliant, like, cause it just throws a spanner in the wrench. It's just like, we don't care. <laughs> See what you think of this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well and that's the spirit of, of red dwarf that i love so much you know i mean mm. it, it's the now you know i mean i do think like we've seen red dwarf explode in you know demons and angels um mm. so we know you can get out of it i mean you know but i love that same sort of uh throwing the monkey wrench in the gears you know i mean i am such a sucker for those things um and this is only the second cliffhanger um mm-hmm. the the previous one was the end of season two with Lister being pregnant. And we know how that worked out. <laughs> uh, you know, they just decided, yeah, we'll handle that in a crawl and just ignore it all. Um, that is, you know, I think they handle it a little better here, but you know, not that mm-hmm. much. I mean, the show's yeah. not interested in really resolving things. It's interested in, you know, driving the train off the tracks majestically. At best and yeah. you know having fun with that and you know uh, let other shows like Star Trek worry about the tracks we're gonna have fun driving off them
0: yeah we're gonna have a we're gonna have a small green uh, sh- sort of <laughs> ship to surface uh, starboard clatter through the tracks yeah <laughs> um, Uh, Yeah, what I should see is I did a little bit of research on this episode because I was sort of like, was that the original ending? But what I was actually looking for, what Hmm. was the original follow-up? Because the BBC actually had a contract for uh, Series 7 to be created. And it was supposed to have been uh, filmed and and, uh, and produced and everything for 94 to be released in late 94, early 95. Um, However... As a sort of has been noted, the two writers, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, had a big falling out. Uh, there was a falling out with the BBC, um, and th- the crew they weren't able to come back together until 1997, when when Series Seven is released. Um, however, the original intention of this episode wasn't to have a cliffhanger. It was actually quite a, a bit of a last minute thing uh, mm. to have the cliffhanger. So there is it was filmed. It's never ever been released. It's probably been destroyed now. But there was a different ending in which Rimmer does make it to the time drive and does destroy it, and it restores, a bit like the end of the uh, Inquisitor, it restores the timeline back to normal and introduces, and does introduce a paradox. Um, Because you then have the thing of, like, well, if he destroyed the time drive, then the future selves couldn't come back to do all this, da da da. Um, and they sort of they did sort of like blow that off a little bit in the usual red dwarf fashion and they actually were to finish red dwarf season 6 with them actually celebrating because one of the points of this episode is that they never have anything to celebrate every day is the same isn't it it's just the repetition and that sort of thing which is why when you see their future selves they actually are you know living that life of luxury mm-hmm. um, uh, they actually use Rimmer's act of bravery as something to celebrate, so they do sort of crack out some champagne or something, you know, possibly Yorian recycle yeah. um, uh, and they actually celebrated, and that's how the show was supposed to end series six. Hmm. Um, but it was a last minute episode; it was a last minute change when they really they, they felt it was too much of a positive ending to a <laughs> season, and so they introduced the cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, which just seems it just seems typical, really. <laughs> um, yeah. So also, yeah.
1: So that... Also, a big mistake, right? Because you know it's going to be uh, you know three three plus years before they get back, and it's it's you know Grant's not going to be there. Um, yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, th- there is this way. I mean, obviously, the this is sort of the beginning of a lot of troubled production, you know, or this is the first real kind of like long hiatus, you know, where mm-hmm. it's not clear what's going to happen here, you know, if Red Dwarf is ever going to come back, uh, you know, and to leave on a cliffhanger when that's the case is is terrible. But it's fascinating to that that was not the intention.
0: No, no, the written script was 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 slightly different. So, yeah, that was the intention was for them to come back next year, but obviously the the, the fallout stopped that. Um, and um, because that was the case, the you know, the obviously the crew had to go off and get other work. Um, Chris Barry already had another sitcom already running, uh, the Britass Empire, which actually I would recommend going to see. It's another fantastic rimification of a character. Uh, He plays the manager of a local leisure centre, um, and it's probably not as sharp and as witty as uh, red dwarf but it's worth seeing for him to, in it. it's it's actually quite a good it's quite a good fun um, series especially for the relationship between him and his him and his uh, his wife uh, is incredibly tragic but incredibly funny um, Craig Charles went off and did a number of things um, I think Danny John Jules got uh, uh, started trying to get into Hollywood um, and Robert Llewellyn um, actually went off and did oh, a number of things, a couple of t- science TV shows and some other stuff as well. So they all got work, but because when the BBC wanted them to bring them back together, of course they were already in contracts for other shows. So um, yeah, that sort of you know that's four years before they were they were back on the air as the Red Dwarf crew, um, and we will talk about that next episode because there was a whole bunch of changes
1: oh, in yeah. that next
0: episode. Um, uh, simple things like there is no longer a live studio audience Um, they threw an awful lot of money at it thinking it was a big comeback Um, and there was still some uh, disquiet on the set because of the discussions around obviously about the production uh, and Grant and Naylor so we'll have to get into that into the next episode
1: yeah, and uh, seven and eight. I mean, af- af- there's this hiatus, and seven and eight are kind of the end of classic dwarf, too. Um, you know, mm. and we'll go on to to talk about the remaining seasons. But you know, seven and eight. Uh, you know, just to preview, I mean, there's a uh, ten year gap between after yeah. eight and the next one. So um, seven and eight are kind of you know the sort of that tail end
0: yeah it's you know I'll be honest with you um seasons seven and eight they're a little longer and that sort of thing, but they are a mixed bag i mean yeah. with 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 what with classic dwarf you know from seasons one to series from one to five and most of six like, we've gone into great detail talking about a lot of things characters sci fi concepts all kinds of things. I don't think we're gonna end up doing that with seven and eight. <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's instrumental that we we breeze through six faster than we did any of the others. I mean, we and we love talking about Red Dwarf, but uh, you know, I think those first four episodes of six, you know, we got through faster than any other yeah. episodes. I like, think
0: this yeah, just goes to shit. It, don't don't well, want to say too much.
1: Yeah,
0: well, but that's it. There's not a great deal to say about them, is there? They sort of yeah. they, they, they they are weak in in that respect, and that's, that's not to say they're not funny. I mean, you know, in comparison to some other sitcoms, but sure. Yeah, they—they they just there's clear there's there's issues behind the scenes that's that's caused some of this. I think um, it's a real shame, but uh, that's not to say because there is still some really good stuff coming up. I think there's at least two episodes. There's a there's a there is yeah. something in season seven, um, and. Again, it just—I'm not going to say what it is, but there is there is something in season seven that I will go on, and I have watched on YouTube just this one little bit, and I've probably watched that more than I've watched the whole episode. Wow! <laughs> that it appears—that it appears in, because um, it's well, brilliant. Have you seen season seven? I'm assuming oh yeah. You have.
1: yeah, I have. I've yeah. seen I've seen season seven and eight. I mean, I saw yeah. them probably not that long after they they came out. Mm. So there's, yeah, I mean, for a, me you know, seven, seven and eight are weaker. I mean, and I, and I think, but, but, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I have kind of like hit season six, four is, you know, the shift to Starbug. you know, I, you know, I don't like these kind of continuity shifts too much, like after Mm. between two and three, having said that, I mean, is also part of the wackiness that is dwarf, but you know, seven and eight, I mean, they screw with the formula so much. Um, and so, yeah. you know, I mean, I, yeah, you know, like, I mean, if you look at six and you say, like, really, all they did was they were on Starbuck, uh, Starbuck, and you get, um, you know, four out of six episodes are lackluster. Yeah, seven and eight aren't great seasons. You know, six, seven, and eight can't compare through to one through five. We can argue yeah. about which ones we like more in one through five, but we all agree one through five are better than six, seven, and eight. Um, but it is interesting watching them screw with the formula and go to new and unprecedented, uh, you know, distortions of what's happening—not in an alternate reality, but to the main crew.
0: Yes, yes. And the one thing I will say is the one thing I've, probably, I've you know, I haven't complained about. What we've mentioned is the, the maintenance of the status quo. And they yes. really do try to shake things up. And I appreciated that they did that. I remember you know, having watched both 7 and 8, to be honest, they, they do try to shake mm-hmm. up the status quo and give you something different. And in, in some t- sometimes it works, and in, in others it really, really doesn't. Um, <laughs> True. But uh, we, we shall get on to that in the next episode. Because this has been another doozy. I mean, these bonus episodes have been fantastic. Um, so, yeah, so Julian, thanks very much as always. And, thank you scott um,
1: it's, it's a pleasure to talk about dwarf and uh yeah. we, are, we are halfway through
0: <laughs> yeah, we're halfway through and actually as of as of recording this uh just not really not too long ago with uh, what would have been series seven but the feature length episode uh just aired on dave or uh, uk tv uh, over here and um hopefully we broadcast on on in some way or you'll be able to get hold of it before the end before we get to it because uh, that again is is worth seeing i think to round out the the whole journey with that feature length episode that came out this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'll have to find it because we we have to uh, you know, there's no Talk sense in that. in not doing the promised land. We have to get no, to the exactly. promised land,
0: Scott. That's true. We are sitting <laughs> we now have a destination. We now can travel to indeed literally travel to the promised land. Um Yes, so thank you very much. And listeners, thank you very much. Um, you know, and thank you for sticking with us. This, this is a hell of an epic journey. It's taken us three million years into deep space and, um, you know, if you're enjoying this, let us know. Let us know what your thoughts are on these series. Um, you know, what do you think are your favourite episodes? What's good? What's bad? What do you predicts going to happen and what are our thoughts are going to be on the next couple of episodes? Uh, please let us know. Find us at Pod Time Space on Twitter. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for sticking around. Julian, Nathan, if you want to to saves before we we round out.
1: I could have walked to Red Dwarf by now.
0: <laughs> Three
1: million <laughs> miles away. In all seriousness, yeah. we love when you talk to us on Twitter. Pod time space. You know, thank you for listening. This is a labor of love. If the show is a ra- labor of love anyway, you know, Scott and I going through Red Dwarf in this depth is a labor of love, and we do love it.
0: It is. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do this and get people to listen to it. Even if there's only two people listening to this, I don't care. It's been worth it. I agree. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And I'll see you all next time.
1: dreams.